So, is everyone like feeling ready? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I'm never ready. <laughs> so, how are you today, Jarlene? I'm very good. I'm like kind of excited for this episode. I'm not gonna lie, I'm nervous too. Why? Because it's like our first like real guest that we've ever had. Oh, so we have a guest. I we do have a guest. <laughs> um, well, first I'll say I'm Rob. I'm Geraldine. And this is Gay Book Friends, as always, where um, we read a bunch of books, and if they're not gay... We'll make them gay. <laughs> and today, we have, like, a super special, crazy guest, um, who I'm very happy to introduce. He is the 2018 New York Teacher of the Year finalist. Um, let me know if this... I think this is all correct. 2019 Varsity Basketball Coach of the Year, 2015 winner of the BAMI Educator's Choice Award for Education Commentator slash Blogger, College Board Advisor for AP Literature, um, host of the podcast Talks with Teachers and our high school AP literature teacher, Mr. Ryan Stavnick. <laughs> Thank you and welcome to the podcast. I think all that's correct, but I can't be certain, so. I got it from your website about page and some other forum that I found. Then so. it must be. If it's got on it. the internet, then it's got to be correct. Exactly. exactly. That's the golden rule. Well, that's like, why we're on the internet. Our <laughs> podcast is... <laughs> more like less fact and more fiction like I think we're more of just like a fun podcast anyway so in case something's not correct I don't think anyone's running and googling to check but Mr. Stabnick's great being a teacher right now in this time I think is really interesting there's mm -hmm. been like enormous challenges mm -hmm. I could imagine like I have younger siblings that are literally in your school you might know my brother mm -hmm. and so you could maybe help enlighten us right now like teaching in 2021 we've had like the most insane like social events to happen in the past year and of course the pandemic right mm -hmm. so like when we were in high school it was hard enough especially in an AP class and now you're teaching during the pandemic so like what is like your take like has this been super difficult for you do you like hate your job still love it like what's the tea on that I bet it's not that much different from what you guys experienced. So I can remember the first day of school, even the first week, like I was just so excited to be back that I wanted to like give everyone high fives and hugs just because it was oh, so good to see everyone so again. <laughs> <laughs> but of course then you couldn't. So it's like that awkward, what do we do? And like, so everyone settled on the fist bump. But, you know, I think just like everyone, the initial excitement then dissipated because then you realize things were going to be challenging in ways that like you've never been challenged before. So I had these works of literature that I love dearly, and I wanted to make some way for it to be magical to students. And that's hard to do when you're just talking to a screen. Mm. Yeah. So we definitely did get to a better place in the school year where things started to relax a little bit. We had finally everyone come back, and some students were still remote. And then finally we lost the death shield. So slowly but surely it got better. And I said this to another teacher the other day. I said, I still just love coming to school every day. And especially at this time of year when I teach nothing but seniors. This is like the moment when everyone is like experiencing all those emotions of reflecting on the past 12 years of school, looking to the future, like trying to soak in the moment before you leave. So it's always cool to see that transpire. I was fully expecting you to be like, no, it sucks. Like, I don't want to be there. No, that was very teacher of your answer. That was like, it's all about growing, learning. No, I love that. I mean, like, do you think now, like, do you feel the students are responding, like, compared to when we were learning and reading about books? Like, do you think kids are still really in school? I think I've given out more hundreds in one quarter than I have maybe in my whole yeah. career. Damn. But yeah. I also know, like, I, I saw students struggle. So, mm -hmm. and the struggle was, if you were home, it was really tough to sit maybe in your bed all day long. Mm -hmm. And a lot of students shared this, that they weren't getting out of bed and they weren't getting out of their pajamas. And it was really tough to watch a screen for nine periods a day, especially when there's so many distractions around you. So it's easier mm -hmm. to just like black the screen and play Xbox or yeah. go to the refrigerator yeah. and hang out there for 20 minutes and then make breakfast, make breakfast. during class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so what I noticed was like the quality of student work often suffered. And by quality, I mean students that normally were great mm. students often didn't hand things in. They lacked motivation. They realized that this wasn't their conducive learning environment. And they just, you know, got into a bad spot where they fell behind and, you know, they had to find some way to hopefully crawl out of it. And a lot of it was students asking for forgiveness at the end of a quarter because they just let things slide. And 
I think part of being a teacher is understanding that as they were going through that, we were going through that too. It was challenging for us. So This is actually really a really good, interesting question too. So I think you touched on it a lot, especially talking about students during the pandemic, but compared to when we were in high school, like do you have, like, do you have a preference for like the students that you taught then versus now? Like, do you see like a difference? I think there's a definite like generational divide now, right? Yeah, because even when though we were, we're on the like, cusp of like Gen Z and millennial. We're like zillennial, now. right? Okay. So it's like, I was born in 1999, so are you. Yeah. So it's like Gen Z millennial, like right there. But, but the now kids you have are like straight up Gen Z. They're lost on me. Anyone born <laughs> after two thousand and three, like they terrify me. So yeah, I don't know. Scary. All right, in what way? Just <laughs> every way. Like I don't trust. Like people like my brother's age, like they won't text me. Like they'll only use Snapchat. I mean, you're a teacher, so you wouldn't get that sort of like thing. But like I'm saying, like I just don't trust them. Like do you think kids care? <laughs> trust them. I don't. I don't. Do I think, think they're. they're... Uh, a lot more active in their communities, though, than we were. That's true. Or a lot more inclusive. I, I think, in general, our grade specifically was very clicky. Yeah, do, what do you did remember? Did you perceive that, though, when you were teaching? Like, what did you perceive? Class of 2017, yeah. what's your take? <laughs> Compared to all the other classes you've had. I think if you teach long enough, you realize this, that, like, there's definitely cycles and there's definitely waves. So, Mr is a guy that will warn me, wait till you get this group of sophomores in two years. Just you wait. Every kid's a cheater and they're not going to do homework. And and then he'll talk about other groups that are phenomenal. And you realize, like, I think here's the thing that comes with experience is you see some things come, some things go. But at the heart of it, like, kids are just kids. Yeah. So I think it's (laughs) really challenging now. Um, I think, and here's the thing that I've noticed. So talking about your group versus maybe the present group, how much the political atmosphere mm. has seeped into the classroom. Mm-hmm. So there are students now that are defiant about certain things that I don't have to wear a mask or I don't have to read this or I don't agree with this. So I don't want to do this. And it's coming from often a political lens where, because it somehow doesn't flow with their way of thinking, they think that they are immune to it, Mm. that they don't have to even come close to it. And so that's where the job of teacher comes in. And I think one of the things that's going on now is there's this great movement called Teach Living Poets, and it's about opening up the canon and exposing students to a diverse group of living poets and not just the same old guys that are in textbooks that are dead, old, or just white guys. And I think it's one of those things that's, you know, rocking people in some ways because it's not the status quo. But I mean, what better thing for students to see that poets actually exist and they're Mm -hmm. not just in textbooks, but this Mm -hmm. is their life's work that they're doing right now. So I think that's the biggest thing I notice is the political climate and how it's like encroached on the classroom. Would you change the books that you teach? Like, have you changed them based on the change in all these political lenses? Or have you changed the way you teach them? Yes. Um, I heard a teacher say this once, and it's a teacher I really respect. She was a AP teacher in California. She's retired now. And she said she tries to teach a new book every year just to keep herself fresh. Mm. And I love that idea because then it challenges you not to do the same thing over and over again. So the books that I read with you guys, I don't think I'm teaching... Well, this year I didn't teach any of them, I know that, because we only read two novels this year, plus we did the blogging unit. So we read The Road, which is a book that I'll tell a story about in a little bit, and we read Pride and Prejudice. And Oh. I've got several copies in the other room. <laughs> Your so, Pride and Prejudice stand. Yes. We have his Pride and Prejudice stand in the building. Uh, I signed a student's yearbook yesterday and I wrote, the first thing I wrote was, I'm stealing your line because there was one moment in class and we had read Pride and Prejudice in the fall, so like maybe October, November, and this was maybe December or January and she's like, oh, Mr. Stavnik, I watched Pride and Prejudice over the weekend. That's like my go-to Saturday afternoon movie when you need this like a cheesy movie on and she's like, so I I watched it three times in a row. (gasps) So I'm stealing that line of this is like the go-to movie for like a Saturday afternoon when you just want like a good, fun movie to watch. Pride and Prejudice? The Kira Knightley one? Kira Knightley, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that we, movie. We brought that up the other day, and yesterday, in our podcast. Yeah, when we were talking about Adaptation. film adaptations. And you like that adaptation, right? Yeah. It's a fun <laughs> movie. Well, Pride really? and Prejudice and Jane Austen in general, I think is like, there's a misconception that it's like boring, but she's like really funny. Like drama. Famous. Yeah. Brings the drama. Well, you you would the, laugh if you read it. You were the girl with the Jane Eyre sweater. Oh. You were. Okay, so it's Eyre. like, do I, are you biased? I'm well, not sure. Jane Eyre is not Jane Austen, simply. 
Oh, that's true. Sorry. See, I'm a little, you're catching me and not knowing things. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because I think about how we read, like, Mudbound. Um, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Right mm-hmm. I also have several Did we do Merchant of Venice? We yes. did Merchant of Venice. Uh-huh. We read some saucy thing. Not read some saucy books, I feel like, because I remember we met Hillary Jordan over Skype. Yeah. Um, she came to the next year. Look at her. You read it again? And she was sassy. <gasps> I, but listen, we, we always have opinions on authors on the podcast, but I, but it always, like, I have nothing bad to say, but I do remember we met her, and I didn't love the way she answered a question that I asked her, so mm-hmm. I always had, like, a weirdo opinion of her. She's probably super talented and great, but, like, I don't know, because I remember I asked her, okay, so, which you asked me to ask this question, <laughs> because so this is really your fault, because I wrote the question, and I was like, oh, you're, he's never going to make me answer this, and I it was after school mm-hmm. and you might have given like maybe bonus credit because no offense I'm like why was everyone there you're like ask this and I was mm-hmm. like oh, okay <laughs> so I answered the question about do you feel you have the agency to write a book about slavery in the south writing from black perspectives as a white woman like, I just wanted to know wow and you she remember all that? I oh, remember was... that was that was not the exact writing. It's like I have a piece of paper right here. I saved it all these years. It's framed. Um, and she just said something along the lines of like, "Well, I have black family, and like I researched, so like it's fine." And I was just like, mm, "I don't know," because Geraldine has a really good perspective on it that we talked about the other day, like writing historical fiction from different perspectives of like a, a race or like a community that you're not a part of. Right. I think if you're not the race that you're writing, you have a responsibility to sort of write from the perspective of an outsider. That's what I said. Outsider looking in. Yeah. Yeah. But not to write from the character's perspective in general. Yeah. So yeah. I I remember that now because I remember she talked about like that's the job of the writer is to imagine Mm -hmm. what someone else's experience is like because... That's basically what you're doing when you're creating characters. And so I see, yeah, I see both sides. Yeah, I see both sides definitely. But sometimes it's like, I wish some authors would just admit like, no, like it is much more valuable sometimes if you're reading black work by a black author. Because we didn't, Mm. in all high school classes, really, we didn't read a lot of black authors. I'll say that. I think we had like one book. Just one. And maybe it was Native Son. Native Son. Which I have... (laughs) Opinions about. I think I pretended to read Native Son. I don't even remember. I just don't think it was the right book. I don't think Richard Wright is the right author to teach audience children. I think James Baldwin would have been a a better pick. I wish we read more James Baldwin because someone has to like force me. I feel like to read like old books. Like in a way, not like old. Like because I read um, what's the book that Natalie's obsessed with? Giovanni's room? Yeah, she. I started that on a plane and never finished it. But if I had to read it for school, it's true, that's true. <laughs> if I had read it for school, I'd have so many but more opinions. would you opinions. have read it in high school? Because I feel like you didn't read the books. I faked my way through a lot of books in high school, but that's not like a secret. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day. Okay, how like, often can you tell? Oh, this is this is what we wanted to get into, too. <laughs> okay. It's like, do you know when kids have read the book? Because Frankenstein, I read. 19... 19- no, I did read it. I really did because I wanted to do really well on the test. Because... <laughs> well, because you started the year with Shakespeare, and the test that we had for Just Shakespeare like quote was direct. Quote. I hated you for yeah. that test. I'm sure. I wanted to I'm kill sure. you. I did fine. Just she didn't say that all the time. I I said it all the time. No, people say that all the time. Oh, I was probably in your class. Was that like, a way to like it. set it up to like force us to read? Yeah. Did you want us to hate? I it? think that's the reason why I created that was yeah. that someone told me that it's a guaranteed way to see who read and who didn't. It's an easy test to grade because it's right or wrong, yeah. and you'll be able to like kind of get a good feel for where the class is based on that test. I want to say I read Merchant of Venice, but I have horrible memory, so I was so mad because it was like, who said this? And I was like, it was a woman. It was either this one or this one. I got like 75. I was so pissed. But I get it. I feel like it's fine. I'm over That's it. definitely like a no BS quiz, though. Like, you can't yes. BS your way through it. You well, can't spark note your way through I it. I like to write. Like, I like written tests. Mm-hmm. That's just me. So that's why it wasn't for me. But, like, you also gave all different types of exams, I feel yeah. like, which I respect. Every unit, you changed your teaching style a little bit. Maybe. Was that on purpose? I think it was. That's how we perceived it. Here's one of the things I found out is I don't like trying to do the same thing over and over again. So maybe it's the creative challenge of, okay, what can I do next? 
But I think it's that old same idea of like teaching a different book every year. It kind of keeps you fresh. So I remember like Geraldine saying to me, because I asked for feedback on the blogging unit and you're like, I just don't know if like the deadlines of having them so close together. And I remember you saying this because you said, I spent a lot of time on each post. So having a little bit more time in between them would have been helpful. And so that's one thing that's helped a lot is getting feedback from students on what works and what doesn't. And part of being a teacher is to have that like kind of BS detection of knowing yeah. when people want the easy way out. Like Tessa, they can just, you know, either, especially now with laptops, they can just copy True. or research and find answers from someone else or like what's genuine. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do. So on tests themselves, I think I had a tough time figuring out who read and who didn't because mm. often I would give interpretation questions which if you paid attention to the discussion in class, if you did yeah. some like research, you know, two periods before, you could kind of get by. But then there were some students you could tell thought deeply about things and then their writing was phenomenal. And like you could tell there's no way to fake that. No, but I, I think, yeah, because something about English, it's so open ended. So if you have a thought about something and you can expand on it, even if you didn't read the whole book, like you could probably figure it out. But um, and I know that annoys which, some kids, like yeah. some kids want math where it's either right or it's wrong and mm -hmm. it's not gray where it's open to interpretation. And I think that's one of the cool things about especially like the English classroom is you can have a discussion yeah. and you can have different voices. And unless someone's really off base, which really doesn't happen too often. Oh, we had some off-basers in our class. <laughs> there was without a doubt. Like, we found a photo, because you have everything in your Google Photos, of our class. English class. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was, like, shock not shocking, but I was like, oh, my God, why was everyone was that I know in this class? It was an interesting mix of students. There was actually, to be honest, like, it was such a queer class. <laughs> it was. And it was all the gays got in one period. I don't know what your other classes were like, but we had a lot of... It this, was all well. of our friends, first of all. Yeah. High school should not have made it that easy for all of us to be in one room. It was like so, so they, yeah, Claudia. She was in your class? She yeah. was in my class. Mm -hmm. it was iconic woman. So iconic. I remember one time you dropped a marker. And in front of her right face. Right in front of her face. And I didn't kidding. You went like this to catch she the marker, which was no big deal. But she like didn't move. <laughs> and all of us, the whole class looked at each other like, what is wrong with her? Because you literally right in her face and she didn't react. Um, no, but that, I think that's what I like about English. And I'll say this to like probably every English teacher if we interview more. Like that's it's always the best class because you get to actually use your brain and do things and there's not there's never not an opportunity to be creative bring a personality into it, <laughs> right? Like your talk say, was crazy. Sometimes I feel like it was a little much. Like I just didn't have the energy to put in. <laughs> like I'd rather just sit there, you know. Yeah. I don't know. That's just for my especially in senior year. Like I couldn't muster the, up the energy to do much anymore. But you must know how seniors like clock out at a certain point. Usually it's when, so there's like the initial wave of, okay, all my applications are done. Mm. I can kind of be on cruise control. And then it really sets in once they get the acceptance letters. Yeah. And then it's like, I know where I'm going. I'm set. I don't have any more stress. I'm yeah. out of here. Post AP exam, oh. high school, it's like, why even go? <laughs> like, who wants well, to do that? even AP exam. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. But no, so we have, we come up with some just funny questions. Because we're like. From this, our personal experience. Because we want you to say, like, your personal perspective on us and our personal Specifically perspective. Specifically as students. As like, students. How are we as students? Yeah, like, what do you remember most about Jodie? What do you remember most about me? Because I don't want to know who I was in high school. Like, if I met them now, no. it would not be cute. I'd punch me in the face right away. I'm not even kidding. So, about you, I remember your TED Talk specifically. Cool. And then I remember you and I took that photo in the gym yes. after yes. the variety show <laughs> yep. where you were dressed like me, and we both did, I think it was like arms folded like yeah. that. Then we did the hand then thing. Then we did the hand <laughs> thing. It was very you at the time with the hands. I, I was the tallest person in the whole grade, so I was like, this is my calling at this point, is to play Mr. Stavnik. Yes. yes. Yeah. And then Geraldine, I specifically remember, like I said, her um blog posts because i remember how long they were yeah so it wasn't like <laughs> you're so extra girl <laughs> it wasn't like you know some people you could tell are just writing to write to get to a word count or like just to get it done but like and you said that at the end that you put so much thought and time into it that it was definitely it was visible and i feel like that was true of almost every writing assignment that you did and we did like a ton of in-class writing but I remember like your essays would be like one of those ones where as you're shuffling through, you're like, oh, here's Geraldine's. And it'll be like a nice refresher because you know something good was going to be in there. So Geraldine, if you're so good at English, why did you get a three on the AP exam? 
<laughs> was that surprising to you? <laughs> because you did give me the AP Writing Award that year. Yeah, it was. And then I got a three on the exam. <laughs> but I've seen that before. Like I had, I remember it was, I think the second year I taught AP, I thought it was probably the most brilliant student that I had mm. up until that time and probably years after. And he got a five the year before. And, you know, I remember I had cafeteria duty and he was in there senior year. And I said, you know, how come you're not the valedictorian? And he's like, yeah, just never interested me. And I think that's kind of probably his approach on the AP exam. He got a five the year before, probably didn't need the credit, or maybe I was just a bad teacher. I don't know. But he got a three as well. So, like, there's always the unexpected. And then there's, like, the unexpected in a good way where someone that you thought was going to get a three, it turns out they get a five. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> did you or did you not rig the AP exam? Because, no, you, I mean, the essay <laughs> questions are a little set up for, like, the books we read in class. It's true. I think, well, having been on the committee that writes the test. <laughs> He's like, I cannot confirm or deny that I was, no, You see so many different essay questions that yeah. could go on the exam, and then you approve them, and then mm. they go into, like, a vault. Um, and mm. you don't even see which ones get selected, but, like, I think that's the thing about good books, like, so even when I've served on that committee and I've tried to write questions, I'm thinking about the books I teach. So I'm thinking about like Mudbound. And I remember like I tried to think of a question about how characters get silenced because that's an important part of the ending. And that's kind of like the cool creative challenge of playing around with the books that you read and like what kind of questions that most people wouldn't necessarily think of but can work with a bunch of books. And you wrote an essay on Mudbound. I did. And did you or did you not <laughs> print it out and give it to the entire class? <laughs> and did you do that to ruin Jeremy's life? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that, exactly. That was the answer. I wanted to say yes. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that was iconic. Do you remember? Was that the entire would... essay or like a paragraph? No, the entire essay. Because we were all critiquing Miss Girl and then someone in the class was like, she's right here. Why are you telling them what they should and shouldn't have done? Well, that's one but... of those things where like, I know it, but I don't want to like call that person out. Yeah. So we I... were all like, oh, he's a drama queen for sure. Or, like, he knew he was starting something. Well, you speak on it. I just felt like my name wasn't blacked out well enough. Like, I could still read my name on the top oh, of the Oh, so it paper. wasn't like I typed it up. It was just... No, it was I like... I crossed it out. And I had my annotations on the side because I used to... I, one of the things I used to do in school was, like, write notes to my teachers <laughs> in all my tests and stuff. So, like, I don't know. Now, how did it feel for you? Were you self-conscious or were you proud? Or was it like, can this bell ring quick enough? Um... Get me the heck out of here. Well, the problem with the Mudbound essay was that the first essay we wrote, mm. I thought I did a really good job on, and then you lost them. <gasps> That's when my bag got stolen. That was oh so good. So, said, I think you did that deliberately so you didn't have to grade them. <laughs> yeah. And then oh when we had to rewrite the essay, it was like a different question, but I didn't try at all. So Wait, I, I gave you all hundreds. I know that because I asked about that if I could get that approved. Yeah. Maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, you struck some sort of deal. Yeah. But something happened there. I remember you, being yeah. so proud of my first essay and then having to write another essay and not, like, caring at all. Oh, my god. So that's why, like, I was but that like, was the one he chose. And the one that you didn't care about, I used as the example. Yeah. And that was in a good, a good way, right? Or, like, this is a paragraph that we can improve upon? No, you said it was, like, an eight. An eight? Yo, yeah, you're okay. like, this is an eight out of nine. This is the best. I remember. So it was all a compliment, but I, I thought it was funny. It was I, a saw your, I saw your handwriting and I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is hers though. It was, it was funny. Now, do you think your friend group recognizes your handwriting? Like they, everyone would have known? I copied up Geraldine for years. So yeah, <laughs> I know her handwriting. Now, most of the iconic moments in senior year happened in probably English class. And well, it was because we were all together. Because again, they should have never given us that power. That was <laughs> a, totally their mistake. But I remember there were strong personalities in that class. Very strong. Very strong. <laughs> it was a competition. It was I always felt like you like ate it up. Like you were like, how much Secretly ever... like yes. manipulating things so that... Because I know that there are teachers, like I always wonder, I'm like, we're all basically adults, but we're not because we're still in high school. So like teachers just must know like how crazy all the kids are. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. could you ever pick up on that people like hated each other or were like mad or do you just let it all go? Like you just let the, you're like, I'm strictly the teacher. Or do you like get involved? Cause like there are some teachers who like put their foot right in the door. Like if there was another English teacher here, I cannot believe <laughs> we get to talk to her. She's like, she was a main character in way too much friend drama for no reason, probably when I was in 10th grade. But you, like do you ever get entertained by what goes on in the students' lives? How could you not? Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause it's all transpiring in front of you and you kind of know what's going on. And I think students don't realize 
how active listeners teachers are. So like the best moment for that is when there's two minutes before the bell rings and everyone's wrapping up and they're kind of just talking and talking and I'm taking attendance, but it's not like I'm just like glued in on the attendance (laughs) screen. It's you just hear what's going on and you hear stuff that people drop that they don't think you hear. And it's kind of like juicy details that you run to the faculty room. You tell the other teachers? Mm, probably not. I just keep them all. There are teachers who gossip. I know oh, that yeah, for sure. For sure. But the same is true of teachers. There's like teacher drama that goes on where like, you Ooh. know, people have friendships that fall apart or like people oh. then become friends or... Do you have a nemesis? Uh, nemesis? <laughs> I have like a fun nemesis, so the business teacher oh. down the hallway. Oh, yeah, I yeah, play yeah. pranks on him all the time. <laughs> What's your ultimate goal as a teacher and for your career? What's like your big moment? You've already seemed to have won a lot of awards, which is amazing. If other teachers were here, I think we'd just be like, this is the teacher. But you had a lot going on. So, like, gen- genuinely, because it's very obvious, like, to us in the, the most amazing way that you, like, seem to lo- you love teaching. So, like, do you have, like, any huge goals? Like, do you want to teach, like, a future, like, president or something? Or do you want to, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I think, like, this is a huge goal for me is to stay in the classroom, I think. It's easy to get caught up in the, I can make more money by becoming an administrator Mm -hmm. or I could go somewhere else and try to do something. So I just, I don't know. It's 42 minutes. Here's the cool thing about a classroom. It's like its own ecosystem. So like your class was a huge ecosystem where you have like all these diverse species that somehow have to come together and thrive. And like in a way I'm trying to be a presence in the room, but not be the authority and like i love that give and take of we're working together but i'm a little bit older than you guys maybe have a little bit more life experience i know these books better than you because i've read them a bunch of times this is your first time so i'm here like to guide you Mm -hmm. but it's not like i'm the authority of this is the only way to read it or like this is what you need to get out of this book so i really enjoy that and i don't want to lose it that's a huge goal for me Um, you know, like I've done some things that I've been lucky where like some people have recognized the work I've done and it's been recognized and that feels cool. But at the same time, it's like, it feels like pageantry almost like you have to do these things to get these awards and to impress the right people. So I'm also like just enjoying being in the classroom and like not having to jump through hoops to like find out what the next step is and you know I think that's maybe part of like the luck I've had is that it's never been like something that's been forced where I've actively sought out these things it's kind of just one person noticed and then sometimes one thing leads to another so I think that's the goal is always look for opportunities to come to me but not necessarily to let them not have me seek them out why did you want to become a teacher (laughs) That's like a 20 minute story. <laughs> was it easy or was it like a, a lot of things happened? <laughs> I mean, I think becoming a teacher is easy. Because like, you were like basketball superstar, right? <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I wasn't a superstar. So initially I wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to be uh-huh. like... Oh, let like me call out Natalie Rash right now and we'll FaceTime her in. So I'll give you the short story of it, but I wanted to be a sports writer and being in the city, you get like exposure to great internships. So mm-hmm. my senior year at NYU, I had this internship that I worked with Madison Square Garden. I did their radio department and I got to work with the Yankees because they had the radio rights at the time, which was phenomenal because it's 1999, the year you're born. Mm-hmm. The Yankees are in their heyday. They're winning World Series. And I was there when they won the World Series, like not only there, but I was in the clubhouse for like the post game show, wow, as all the it. players came in, they had the. <laughs> We're acting like we know a... anything about sports. <laughs> We're like, We're like yes, sports. Yes, yeah. Yes. There's a photo somewhere of like the when they won, and there's like this really tall guy <laughs> in the background, and it's like that's what's just happening. You just saw a chest and neck. <laughs> yeah, but um, then I got a job working as like a sports reporter for a paper in Nassau County, mm. and here was the thing that kind of like changed my life. So that summer after my first year of working. I wanted to write for one of the New York City newspapers, like the Daily News and Newsday or like the New York Times. And no one does that after like one year, you know. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, since no one really does it after one year, maybe I could somehow convince them just through persistence that... I'm energetic. I'm ambitious. I'm really tall. Like, I'm no really tall. Like me. I know <laughs> basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I spent the summer writing a letter to the New York Times sports editor every day of the week. <gasps> Too much work. 
But just like <laughs> the same. I respect <laughs> that ambition. Oh my god! It was That's the like... same letter, but like a different version each time. Okay. It was like I'm young. Cover letters. Just I'm inexperienced. <laughs> I want to just work my way up. So I'll start with anything. I'll like fetch call. And I still have the letter that I got in response, and it said, "Well, we appreciate your enthusiasm." <laughs> I want to let you know that our best recommendation for you is that you spend the next few years working in a small market, mm. building some clips and a resume, and then you can work your way up to a mid-major market, and hopefully we can see you in five to ten years. And it wasn't like devastating to me, but it was also like, oh, so I'm going to have to leave New York. I'm going to have to probably travel around the country, which wasn't terrible, but then I thought, if this is what I really want to do, I'm going to be on the road covering a sports team. It's going to be nights most of the time. And I'm like, if I ever get married, that's not going to be great. And especially mm -hmm. if we start a family. And my wife was my girlfriend at the time. And we were thinking about getting married. And it was just one of those, I don't know if this is really what I want to do. So then 9-11 happens. This timeline. And then two yeah. weeks later... I'm at Stony Brook University meeting with the head of the English education department. I said, I think I want to be an English teacher. I like to write. I like to read. I like working with kids. What do I need to do? And then she sat me down and like, these are the courses you need to take in order to get into our program. And you have to take the GREs. And so I did all of that and like loaded up on English classes because I had a lot of journalism classes, but not literature classes. And then the rest was history. That's crazy. Honestly. Put some perspective as recent graduates. Recent graduates as of like three weeks ago. I'm like, what am I doing? Um, <laughs> I'm just in Jarlene's basement doing a podcast. But like, um, no, I mean, that's really like, it's weird to think about the events people have to go through just to get to where they are. Because sometimes you graduate college and you're like, well, do I have this degree? So I'm just going to hit the ground running and like do that. But it's not that easy all the time. And that's what I thought I was going to do. And it's it's almost like that Steve Jobs Stanford commencement speech where it's like you can only connect the dots looking back. Yeah. You can't do them. Like if you saw me in 2001, I thought I would have been a sports writer. But yeah. then you realize like something monumental happens in the world. And it's mm -hmm. is this what I want to do with my life? Or is there something more meaningful that I could achieve that will still marry my interest in reading and writing with maybe something more productive? And your family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to know what your favorite book is. Yeah. All right. So I'm not going to say my favorite book first, but I'm going to talk about the last book I read because this will be cool. So the last book was a memoir and it was called Little and Often. It just came out. So it's Little and Often. And it's the CEO of a Long Island winery, Bedell okay. Sellers. But here's what's cool about his story is he grew up on a farm in North Dakota and his father was a cowboy and he realizes at a certain age probably about high school that he's gay and he needs to get out of north dakota so he goes to iowa state for undergrad and being from the upper midwest he was always interested in the outdoors and plants he studies botany he then goes to cornell and then he gets a job working at the wineries and works his way up to being the ceo but his father never accepted him, so that's part of the reason why he left. And while he's working at the winery, his father invites him back for one last Thanksgiving. And he decides to come home and has like very few interactions with his father. Comes back to New York. Two months later, his father dies. And one of the things that he loved doing with his father was working outdoors with tools. And he had never really built anything, but he decided that he was going to build a wooden canoe within one year of his father's passing as like a tribute to him and kind of as a way to kind of understand who his father was. So it's this really moving story because it's someone that is a craftsman, but really isn't because the book talks about how terrible he was trying to build this canoe where like a piece of lumber shot out of his table saw and broke his window. And he had like cut his hands and like had some injuries throughout it. But it's also this like, remarkable story of like father-son relationship of coming true to who you are and also like trying to figure out what your place is in the world especially when you've never felt comfortable anywhere until you kind of like make the amends that you need to make i like how you're like i'm going to talk about this book it's 
gay. <laughs> You're like, gay, well, no, but that's gay like... book friend. No, no, I'm just kidding. But I was like, God, I was like, perfect. It wraps together with the theme of the podcast. What's your favorite book? So recently, I'd say it's been The Road. Uh, I've been meaning to read it. It's a gruesome book. So it reminds me of it. Wait, by whom? It's by Cormac McCarthy. And it's it reminds me of Night, where it's dark and there's like some unsettling scenes. But here was this cool experience I had. Um, two years ago, I'm at the AP reading, grading exams. I have the open question where you can write about any novel you read. And I get this one essay that wrote about the road. And I hadn't read like it, but... Automatic 100. You're like five <laughs> right here. Well, that was the thing. I hadn't read it. I knew of the book. And I, I knew the general like plot behind it. And this essay was so moving because it's talked about how, you know, this father is trying to save his son in this post-apocalyptic world. And he's willing to do anything to protect him. And as the essay progresses, and it says that the cool thing about the book is that it's not really the father protecting the son. It's the son who's protecting the father. Because the son is still innocent enough that he realizes his father could become jaded and cynical and lose hope if it wasn't for him. So he's the one like teaching the father still how to be good and not be so violent to protect him. And it was just like this cool moment where as someone that was a father of young boys, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to read this book. So then I read it that summer and after reading, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to teach this book. <laughs> and you know, I think students have the same reaction that I do. Like I had a student this year who's read the first 60 pages and he's like, when are the good parts? <laughs> and I was like, just, you know, bear with it. But you know, it's a book that's all about like, this is a quote from it, carrying the fire that like we have to carry the fire and so it doesn't really explain what that is mm-hmm. so it leaves it open to interpretation then as a teacher we get to have those discussions about what that might mean for you but it's just a cool book yeah i'm gonna read it soon i'm in the mood is that like your favorite theme in books like family oh. chain like that sort of thing yeah what's your favorite trope <laughs> yeah what's your favorite trope because we talk every day about, about tropes. tropes and like she has favorite tropes i have favorite tropes i don't know you look at mudbound that's about family i guess that's true did but. you like Mudbound? <laughs> yeah, let's rate Mudbound. Hillary <laughs> Jordan, we hate you. Okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, I did like, you like it? I liked it a lot. Do you like all the books you teach? Uh, or now, you, yes, because now, yes. I get to pick them Did over you used to feel like you were pressured to teach certain books? Yeah. I, do you have to get them approved? Like, yes. How do you pick it? So I think like Frankenstein is a book that... I think is like an AP book yeah. that probably I felt pressured. Not pressured, but so like... So you don't like Frankenstein? I do. <laughs> She's personally offended. I think it also depends on the year. So yeah. on the year in the sense of like what's going on in the world. I think that's mm. a cool place to be at right now as a teacher. Is I have enough of a classroom library where I can say, I think this would be a good book this year. And it might speak to kids in a certain way. Okay. Whereas this book might not work this year because of whatever's going on in the world or whatever's going on in people's lives. So like I think Merchant of Venice probably was good in 2016, 2017. I and... would have rather <laughs> read something else. <laughs> yeah, I want to read a fun Shakespeare play. I mean, I've read so many now, but why'd you pick Merchant of Venice? You just thought. I think it the was. The vibes. The vibes of. Like... <laughs> the gay undertones. <laughs> yeah, are there gay undertones in Merchant of Venice? Yeah. Huge. We. Oh, we Shylock? N- no. No. What's I his forgot. name? Antonio, Antonio Bassanio. Bassanio. Oh, Antonio Bassanio. I, he, wrote, he wrote a whole essay about queering Shakespeare. I did. Year. I just took a Shakespeare class that I didn't want to take, but I had to as an honors credit. Long story short, I decided I was going to write about, okay, queer Shakespeare. I'm going to call it Shakespeare. I was like, I'm going to make it so good. And then I realized all the books that I had read for the class like weren't very gay. But I did write about Julius Caesar, which we read, and I wrote about Macbeth because there's some Ooh, gay Macbeth. stuff. Traumatized by Macbeth. You definitely <laughs> are. Because, um, like, it's kind of gay because, like, they talk about, like, Macduff and, um, and, oh my god, I already forgot. I feel like right those now. aren't the, like, the most, like, forthright, like, gay But you know, we read them in class and my professor had this whole explanation for it. But, but I guess there are some gay undertones in Merchant of Venice. I just don't remember much about it. <laughs> I just, even though I swear I read it, um, didn't do all this, but I swear I read it. Um, but yeah. I feel like it's a, it's not as fun as a Shakespeare play though. It's not as like 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 fabulous as like some of the more iconic ones. It's a tragedy, so it's not gonna yeah. be fun necessarily. I know. You know what I I remember I read the Shylock voice like all weird in class. Do you remember that? I tried to be all campy and crazy. 
Like I said, I hate myself in high school. Oh. <laughs> I literally, I said I would go back and bully myself. Can we recommend a book for you? Of course. You know which one. Which book? Like oh. Our favorite book. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> no judge, you think he would like it? In a way. No, no. The more serious one. Oh, I thought you were talking about our Bible. No, not the Bible. What's our more serious one? Like the one that we always reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, you talk about it or just say. Um, There's this book called Real Life. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. It's by Brandon Taylor. He's a poet normally. I think he's a poet. I think he has books of poetry. But this was his debut novel. He has like other like unpublished things, right? But this Filthy was his... Animals is yeah. being reprinted. Okay. It's such it's a good book. It's called Real Life, but it's... <laughs> you have to be, like, smart to read. Not to, like, gatekeep who can read books, but I feel like it's very, like... I don't know if Miller Plays High School students. Maybe now. Oh, no, it's not for the high school students. It's for you. Oh. I'm saying, yeah, <laughs> it's not for high school students. There's a lot of, like, um, it touches a lot about on gay culture, so, like... But also, I think it's just, like, a really fun perspective on, like, an identity that isn't very, like... I don't think is written about often and like really classically written like literature not classically but like like Brandon Taylor's writing style is so like phenomenal and I don't think you you don't have to be gated to like it. No. you don't have to be uh black like it's like gay it's about like a gay black college student in a college where he's like the only black and gay person mm-hmm. so in the middle is, of America yeah and like grad student he's a grad student that's very specific yeah this the book made us realize that we didn't want to go to grad school <laughs> because it's all so anti he like hates grad school but i think it's like just probably like the best book I, that we read we read this year because we review a lot of like really funny like um like, i also like the vanishing half though oh yeah the vanishing half is also right here so good um yeah you can grab it well it's her book <laughs> um which is about um just like the uh, social construct of race. Yeah. Is that the best way to describe it? Two twin sisters and they pass as white, but one decides to like live like in the black community because she knows she's black and uh, the other one like escapes into whiteness in like the South in the 1960s. Um, really good book. So that's, that's if you asked my favorite book right now, it'd be like real life, I would say. That's not your real favorite or, book, though. Or it's not, though. <laughs> but there's, there's this other book that we love called Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is like, what, what's the genre? Uh, new Adult. New Adult. So. It's like the, it's like the YA kids grew up. Okay. So yeah. there's some explicit scenes in it, but it's oh, like, yeah. it's, it's like, it's, it has that campy, it's. It's, it's about if the president's son <laughs> And the Prince of England were gay and they fell in love with, like, all the implications. But it's, like, the best book I've, like, ever read. But There's it's, a like, lot of heart in it, like, a lot surprisingly. Of but, I mean, you don't have to read it. Yeah, I don't know if that's your taste, but real life, for sure. Do you know... Do you have any questions for us? Oh, yeah. This as is... your students. Yeah. Okay, so looking back now, now that you have some distance from it, what was the best book that you read in class well, in high school? Um... Frankenstein was my favorite book before we read it in school, uh-huh. and I was very... And then I ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was very protective. I don't know if you, like, that came across during that unit, but, like, I was very protective over Frankenstein because it felt like no one else was, like, reading it the way I went, read it. Frankenstein, favorite book in high school until it got ruined senior year. Yeah. What about you? <sighs> this is, like, a, the worst answer because no one likes this book, and I don't even like it that much. <laughs> punch you if you say it. I don't know, actually. Well, I see this. What book? I cried during it. Maybe that's why. Because it was so sad. I really... Lord of the Flies. Oh. I liked Lord of the Flies. Where were you going to punch him over? Yeah. I thought he was going to say Anthem. (gasps) No! (laughs) Because every time I bring up how much I hate Anne Rand, he's like, well, I liked Anthem. I didn't mind Anthem, but thank God we didn't have to read Fountainhead. No. The worst books we ever read were in 11th grade. Yes. I'll say that. I I don't know. They're horrible. I don't know what that man was doing. (laughs) I actually love him, though. Um, But yeah, I, I liked Lord of the Flies because... That, that cover, book is camp. If you all, reconceptualize it... It's camp. It's really funny. It is a funny book. And for some reason it was compelling. And then like when one of the characters dies... I, I also like, think Mrs. So was like very funny during that unit. Yeah. <laughs> she's like hilarious. Because that was our first introduction to her class. So I think... I don't know. Yeah. And I'll, I would tell her this. I don't like... I don't love the way she taught to Kill a Mockingbird. And I didn't read Lame It as I already established. And then she didn't even teach us Night. night because... Because I was, Mr. <laughs> Whoever his name was was a student teacher at the time. Oh my god! So I was. Do you, you, do you know him? I remember him. Oh god! But you, he, you didn't have to be in his class. That's the thing. Honestly, this we didn't have to put this in the episode. It was so funny. One time he was because he was honestly the worst teacher ever. I don't even know how he graduated from any program. I mean, thank God, Mr. 
probably was so nice in his review, but no one was giving him any energy. So she was like, Miss you leave the room and he's like yeah and she screams at all of us but like he was right outside the door and he, she screamed at us she's like this poor man up here is dying like she literally went and she's like you're not giving him anything you guys better raise your hands do you see him suffering but he was right at the door so he comes back in the room and he's like um okay so i have does anyone and everyone in the class like raised their hand and it was so awkward she like threatened our lives um she was also i mean <laughs> She is the type of teacher who could get away with literally anything. At that point. Because she, like, owned the school. Like, I thought she was going down with the school. I know she retired now, but... What was your least favorite? Billy Budd in 11th grade. (laughs) And probably, like, Marching of Venice. Or, (laughs) or, Les Mis. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Gerald. (laughs) Yeah, what's your least favorite? I don't like this author, but I think you really like him. Oh, we're getting to yeah. <laughs> So, I I never liked him. The dead? I I can't stand him. She actually she said she's like I'd rather like. I die think that's than a story that like you have to mess. suffer through, but then I think the ending is awesome. So you sound like my brother. Is it worth it? <laughs> my brother just finished. Ulysses after it like did. years of starting it that was like one and of he was like you know what it was worth it and I was like no I don't get that sort of gratification from just reading like a long book you know what I mean like if I'm not into the book then I can't even read it like 10 pages so it's crazy to me that people could read a whole giant now here's a good question for both of you do you think that students would read more if the books were more fun, I guess. Yeah. And that's like mm-hmm. a really vague thing, but, or is it just like in high school, kids don't want to read no matter what you give them? Well. Because I almost feel like some kids are just going to say, this is yeah, stupid no I matter what. There's some kids who won't read, but like in college, in my junior year, we had like this culture survey class that was connected to our thesis. So we read books that were connected to this theme and we were all art students. And the first semester, because it was a two-semester class, we read a lot of novels and short mm-hmm. stories and plays, but then we read one graphic novel and everyone actually read it. So the second semester, half the curriculum was graphic novels and everyone read those books. So I don't know, you kind of have to know your audience, right? Do graphic novels count as something that you could teach an AP though? You could break the mold. I think you could teach anything with a really good story, like yeah. regardless mm. of format. So graphic novel, yes. If it's got interesting characters, if it's like layers of complexity. Yeah. And we read some really like deep and There are good novels. ones out there. I just wonder with like all the rules of like AP life. I don't know how that I mean, works. They wouldn't, would they be able to write about it in an essay on the AP? So at the grading, they say you have to grade the essay based on the merits of the oh, writing. Okay. So you can't judge the essay based on the book so they chose. So I could have written about anything. Yeah. It's like in the Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen did. Um, There was that one year I had an essay that was on Fifty Shades of Grey. (gasps) That's iconic. It was. (laughs) Like a 17-year-old student's like, hold on, this is deep. That's so funny. I don't know. I mean, teach fun books, yeah. Okay. That's that's what I would say. I think the books... I think a lot of classics are off-putting to people, but then it's like sad because like I love classics, so I would like other people to like them. But as soon as you're reading a book for school, like it really does color the experience. And then mm. if you add on top of it that it's a classic novel, that like they're like, oh, who is Charles Dickens? It's like no one cares. Yeah. Yeah, I've never. And read I Charles love Charles Dickens. Dickens. I just think that it's like, sometimes it's good to look at like the authors too. Like you don't always want to read books by the same type of author. Like yeah. the same just old man, probably old white man. Like I mean, when we read Mudbound, I thought it was surprising because that was the first like modern novel that we read mm-hmm. throughout school, basically. Yeah. I don't think... Did I think it was the best book? <laughs> Did I want to no. read it? No. <laughs> I just remember. I'm not saying I liked it, but like I remember I was like, we should watch the movie. The movie didn't to... come out yet. Oh, yeah. Well, like, just, like, yeah, like, the other day. I was like, I want to see Mary J. Blige, see what she does. <laughs> Did you um, watch the movie? Yeah. Was it good? It's very good. The ending is a little bit different, but... Mm. So that's my next question. Ready? Okay. Name a book in which the movie is better than the book. That's, like, a twisted question. I know. Twisted. Because it's, like, there's no answer because the book just, like, has to be better. Not but, really. Not so, like, this is the Pride and Prejudice question. Is yeah. the Keira Knightley version of the movie better than the book? I think it's 
more palatable to mm. a greater audience. Okay. But I do think, like, I mean, I went through a Jane Austen phase in middle school <laughs> where, like, my whole Tumblr feed was just Jane Austen and, like, gothic novels, too. But, um, and I watched the movie before I read the book. Mm-hmm. But I love the b- movie so much that I wanted to read the book. Well, so... it's, it's hard because, I mean, if a director is able to really take a book and represent it, you know, maybe it's, it's in order to be better from the book, I feel like it would have to tell, like, the story differently in its own yeah. way. You know what I, I mean? I was going to say, like, when the movie is, like, completely different from the book, I, I'm kind of okay with that. I agree. Because it's, if, like, if a it's different experience works. to me. Right? It's, like, reading the book... It doesn't feel like I just watched the movie because I read the book. You know what I mean? But they mm-hmm. can't ruin the story. That's the thing. I think if the core values are the same. Because I think the worst adaptations are when they just take the book and try to put it into a movie, but there's as- there's aspects of a book that are never going to work on film, right? Yeah. So they don't even try to switch it up. But like if you really if you do it in a really smart of, yeah. way, like adapt like simply adapt it to a film, make it like cut some things but emphasize other things for yeah. value, like I really respect I'm that. I'm not like a purist when it comes to like Sticking 100% to the book. When I saw the Hunger Games movie oh. when I was like 12, I was so furious. <laughs> I remember I left. I actually was such a nerd. I went to the movie with my sixth grade English teacher. She agreed to go with me. I went with Max. I went with some of my other old friends. I wish you were there. We weren't really friends yet in sixth grade. No, I went with Daniel. It was the midnight premiere. Like, fully went to the midnight premiere with my English teacher. <laughs> I don't know why she like so weird. I mean, she's no. She's we have a queen. like a weird history with English teachers. We do. Like... We do. Because she agreed to it, and I was furious because <laughs> of the things that they changed. But that's just a bad example because that's like a blockbuster movie. But you know, a movie I love, um, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh yeah, it's such a good movie, and it made me understand the book more because mm. I read the book. I think when I was probably I was I. I was I think I was personally a little bit too immature to read it and really yeah. grasp it. I read it in seventh grade, but like. I know some of my friends read it because we're all reading it at the same time and like y'all probably fully got it but I feel like I didn't really feel like get the weight of it. I saw the movie and like cried and then I saw it again last year during quarantine and I was like, oh my God, like this is so amazing. Like the film, the director did a really good job of just showing a snapshot, a sna- snapshot of um, adolescents going into adulthood and dealing with trauma and all that stuff. I'm obsessed with adaptations. We just talked about this on the adaptation episode. Yeah. Not even that I've seen that many, but like I think about it in my head. Like I fan cast, I think about it, <laughs> I want to write the screenplay, I make a soundtrack. Like I would love to be like a movie I, don't, I think because I read so many books, that like the volume of books that I read, I feel yeah. like you spend more time thinking about books. Yeah, you're like a compulsive reader. It's like boom. boom I will boom, read boom. anything and I have read anything. It's true. Do you have a favorite adaptation? <laughs> oh, man. It's a hard question. It's really hard. I don't know. I, I really like the Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Although That's probably my favorite. My students don't like Darcy because they thought he'd be better looking. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, so thank you so much for coming. Really, thank you so much for agreeing to this and coming. This has been, like, so rewarding to reflect on the crazy years of high school and actually like learn from what a teacher thinks about us. Like that's the most interesting part when you're in school. You don't know if your teachers are like your friends or if they like hate you or both, but. Oh, I know some teachers who hated me. Oh, me too. Yeah, they're next. We're, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're next. we're putting them in the hot, the hot seat um, and we're taking them out. It's a trap. Um, thank you so much for coming really. Thank you for having me. I, I mean, this has been so much fun to go like Flashback to memories that I didn't even realize I remembered about, like, my bag getting stolen with the essays in them, or some of the discussions we had in class, or how I took someone's essay and made copies of it, but didn't do a great job of blacking out her name. You didn't even ask me. No. <laughs> <laughs> you just... Okay. Okay. <laughs> Straight up. Um, no, really, I'm obsessed with this. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It's been great. Everyone, this has been Mr. Brian Stabnick, who... Do you want to plug anything? Like, anything you're working on? Anything you want people to look to you for like um maybe starting next year i'll blog again at brianstabnick.com but until now i'm definitely enjoying my summer oh. he's on sabbatical yes all right well this has been gbf i'm rob i'm Geraldine. and um yeah we'll catch you guys later and now i just end it <laughs> all right well okay.